0: Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist, manager, and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not
1: teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans.
0: Welcome to the show. Jordan, what's happening, man? I'm good, Sam. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. Today, we are switching it up a little bit. We are doing a bit of uh, what they, they call in the, the podcast and biz, uh, an episode swap. <laughs> so uh, today, we, uh, we're excited to feature Dan Runcie. I don't know if you know Dan, but he runs a newsletter and podcast called Trapital. It's kind of like the the Harvard Business Review. Um for hip hop and rap and music business. So I think he's an incredible analyst. His newsletter, he dissects lots of very actionable insights surrounding the, the evolution and the, the changes in the music industry and how you can actively engage. And then in his podcast, he's had some some true all-stars from Master P to Steve Stout and more. So um, really excited to be airing an episode of his with you guys today. Um, if you want to check him out, just go to trapital.co, T R A p-i-t-a-l.co you could check out his newsletter and also be sure to check out his podcast but but you want to tell us a little more about the episode we got lined up today jordan
1: yeah so today we're actually interviewing um the founder of cinematic music group johnny shipes so we interviewed hovain hilton and chris hershey before um today we're getting to the the crux the the co-founder himself the man the myth the legend johnny shipes so today he talks about how cinematic established itself how indie label deals, and how a label brands itself. It's also a great episode to dive into how to manage a personal brand uh, and the branding of your business. So, yeah, I'm super excited for everybody to hear. Uh, Dan's a great collaborator on our end and really excited to promote his his podcast and his platform even more.
0: Yeah, thousand percent. Well, we definitely love the interview we had even with Dan, if you want to go back into some of the Music Business Podcast archives. But for today, we're really excited to hear Dan interview Johnny Shipes, so without any further ado, Dan and Johnny.
2: Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcy. Before we get into today's episode, three quick things. First off, thank you. Thank you to everyone that's been listening to the podcast. Thank you if you've been sharing it and spreading the word if there's this particular episode that you've liked and you sent it to someone that you know that has liked it, thank you. I appreciate that, and that's how Trapital continues to grow. And on the other side, if this is your first time listening or if you recently discovered the podcast, welcome. It is really great to have you. When you get a chance, either A, follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Trapital is available everywhere, also on YouTube now. So if you like videos, you can check that out. I've been recording more of the audio with the guests I've been doing, so make sure you check those out too make sure you go through the archives as well. You may find some interviews. That's one of the things that I always hear from people. They'll be like, oh, I just discovered the podcast, been digging through the archives. You interviewed some dope folks. I didn't even know that you talked to so-and-so. And that's what really makes it valuable, right? The back catalog has to be there. The same thing that I talk about with artists, so much of that applies to what I'm doing as well. So thank you for spreading the word. Second, spreading the word is also how A lot of people found out about the episode I did last week with Twitch's VP and head of music, Tracy Chan. We had a really great conversation about how artists are making money and monetizing independently and on their own using Twitch's platform. It doesn't take that many fans. But if folks are willing to put in the work, they can make a living if they're using Twitch in the right ways. Tracy breaks this down, and he also has perspective from helping to build Spotify for artists when he was working at Spotify. And before that, he worked with YouTube to help develop a lot of the things they've done on the creator side. He gets this better than anyone, so after you're done with this episode, you can go back and check out the one I did with Tracy last week, if you haven't already. And third, I wanna give you a quick preview about this episode that I did with Johnny Shipes. Shipes is the founder and CEO of Cinematic, which is more than a record label. I, I don't even wanna say that, that's not selling it enough. Shipes is running an independently run entertainment company. They have Cinematic TV, which focuses on all of the content and the media that's put out there. And they do some really dope stuff. They have Cinematic, the record label itself. And they have Cinematic Management, which is actually run by Hovain, who was on the podcast last year. So you can go check that out. I did a great episode with him and Busy Rivera. So you can check that out, too. But yeah, Scheips is living the dream. And it was dope to talk to someone that is truly being able to do that. He has a really strong passion for music and his work with so many dope artists like Joey Badass, Smoke Dizza, Big Crit, Nipsey Hustle. We talked about a lot of that in this episode. And Shipes has also been working on some of the things that he's really passionate about as well himself. He's done a lot of stuff in comedies, working pretty closely with Drewski, who's been rising through the comedy ranks recently. Shipe also does the Smokers Club. He also does Grindstone Donuts. There's just so many things that he's involved with. And I think this is someone that truly understands what he's most passionate, what he's most interested in, and that's the stuff he does. And I think it's really dope and I'm excited for you to get to listen to it. So here goes my conversation and the interview that I had with Johnny Shipes. Hey, so we got the founder and CEO of Cinematic here, Johnny Shipes congratulations. Now the second year in a row, you're an indie power player. And I got to say, I know you don't necessarily like being called an exec, but two years in a row, you might be in that exec term, man. Yeah, no, nah, I'm an entrepreneur with a love for music and no disrespect to executives
3: at all, you know, but I feel like that boxes me in where really more like I love music. So I've done music early on in my career as a hobby because I just loved it. Like, you know, literally when, when me and Dizel were were working and I was fucking 18 years old, You know, I was just super young doing it. It was just for the love. And then as things, you know, started to evolve and we would find artists, I would find artists. It became like a business. But I really do try to not use the word executive because I do think, you know, an executive is a little different than how I tend to run things or whatever. No shots towards any execs. There's great executives out there that do things I can't do. You know what I mean? And vice versa. But I'll take it, you know, two years, exec, indie, power player, I'm with it, whatever, whatever gets the job done, you know?
2: You've done a lot, though. And one of the things I like, you know, last year I had both Hovain and Busy on here, was learning a little bit more about the business and they're killing it. And I was listening to an interview you had done recently. You've described this as the supreme of music. And I think that's just a dope way to explain what you're doing. But for the listeners, can you explain what that means and how you're bringing that to life? Supreme, you know, it's my favorite
3: brand as far as just streetwear goes. And I think they've just been incredible at having a long lasting career and impact on the culture and not really career because it's a brand. So it's not really that it would be their career. But, you know, they they don't ever do anything that they don't want to do. They march to their own beat and, you know, they just put out dope shit. So for me, with cinematic, you know, when I look at like my history of artists, I like to think that, you know, the bar is very high and I might not have discovered the biggest artist yet ever in my career because I could, you know, you just never know when that's going to happen. But when you look back on some of the artists that I've been able to be lucky enough to work with and discover, they're very high level. It sets the bar for music in general, whether you want to talk about Dizza or Nipsey or Joey or Crit. I could go on, but I tend to just really try to do stuff I love and don't compromise. You know what I mean? And, and I think that that kind of is what Supreme does as well. So, you know, when I think of music, I don't necessarily want to be Def Jam. I don't want to be Interscope. I respect and look up to all those brands. But I think we're more than that because, well, we're different than that because we're very like for the culture, from the culture. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of like Supreme.
2: And just an example of that, on your YouTube cinematic TV, you have Bag yo, know, doing art while he's smoking up. And that's just not something you would see on Interscope or Def Jam, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, what's funny
3: is now like, you know, a lot of labels now are trying to copy the formula of what cinematic tv is like a few people have told me that other labels have been in like meetings and they've been like you know look at cinematic tv they're doing all this stuff because like that content technically doesn't benefit cinematic the record label because you know it's a money bag yo piece of it benefits money bag yo whatever label he signed to right because we're doing a dope piece of content for him but to the point of just loving what we do and really doing this for not to sound cliche, the culture. And and for what, you know, when I say we, it's me, it's busy, it's Hove, it's Adam, it's everybody at the company that works as a team. You know, we are doing this because we love it and enjoy it. So yeah, the high art piece with money bag, yo is just dope, you know, and cinematic TV started like so long ago was basically, if you really look at the early videos, we're talking like 2007, when YouTube first was really starting to pop up and stuff and things were going viral or whatever, I was just running around with like a little handheld camera. And like, if you look back at like the old Nip stuff or like when Nipsey and Wiz and Currency first met in that studio session, that was just me on my camera, like shooting, because I was just enjoying myself. You know, it wasn't like anything deeply thought out. You know what I mean? It was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing in my life. I'm going to give it to the world this way. And then two years ago, I said to myself, I was like, now I'm in a position to do content differently than I used to with like a whole team and I just like start relaunch cinematic TV and that's kind of where we're at now. We do that cooking show, follow my recipe. And I think high art is going to be pretty cool. And you know, I own the smokers Club too. So like we're able to like cross promote the brands and stuff and just one hand washing the other type of thing, you know?
2: Yeah. And I think that even though an artist like money bag, yo, is not signed to you all, even though it may not help your direct label, it still helps the overall brand, right? You're able to create the platform.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that it's just cool to be able to like, again, like, that's why like, I don't ever want to be boxed into anything. I just want to do stuff that I love, you know what I mean? Which is how I've made my whole career, you know what I mean? I've never in my opinion compromised. I can't really think of any times where I've like said to myself, all right, I'll work with this artist because it's going to make me money. If I don't like something, or I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it, you know, even when I was broke, you know? So like, to the point of that, it was like, yeah how dope would this be like it's gonna benefit us just by the cinematic name and cinematic tv cinematic records whatever but it's just cool content you know what i mean and it's funny and like it's dope to share with people you know the fact that you even know about i love that you know so yeah it does go a long way and i think it benefits both sides
2: it's cool and obviously refreshing just to hear how you're like no the money can come later i want to do dope shit but i'm sure that at some point there is a balance, right? Like you're clearly obviously doing some things that are like, okay, no, let's drive this home. This may not be the most passionate piece of it, but this will help bring us some money in. How's that piece been? I honestly don't know that I do that. I guess the compromise on that side would be
3: management. Cause you know, I came up managing to a degree and I really stopped managing a couple of years ago just because it's a very, very hard job. You know what I mean? It's in my opinion, not really where I want to spend my time, especially on the music side. Like, you know, I managed Drewski, but that's a whole different thing we'll get into in a sec. That's comedy. It's it's what I love most more than anything my whole life. I've always wanted to do comedy and be involved with it. So I don't even look at that as like, you know, management, if you will, but maybe management would be the one thing that like I compromise on. Like if I know an artist is really dope and I can't sign them to the label and work with them on that side, I'll manage them. But other than that, I don't really look at things like I wouldn't look at an artist. I can't think of one artist where I've been like, oh, they have a hit record and I don't believe in them as a real artist. And I go and sign them. You know, I don't chase like whatever the newest trend is and stuff like that, just because I find that if I did that, I start to get lost on where. I come from and what I'm best at is finding artists at like ground zero. You might, they might not even have music record. I might've heard them freestyling on the corner and been like, yo, that's the dude right there. I need to work with him. And if you just chase somebody that has that one record, they might not have anything else after that. So I don't really do that, but I guess like maybe management would be the one thing that I compromise like on when I can't sign an artist on the label side, because maybe they're signed to a production company already or
2: something like that. You know, that makes sense. And I mean, if we're just zooming out, you have, The whole entire cinematic, you got the TV side of it. So that's the content. And if people are exposed to the brand, they may see that first. And it's also good for artists, too, right? If someone's like, oh, let me see what they're doing. You got the management side. Like you said, if you can't sign them to a full deal, you got that. And then obviously you got the record label. And if you have that, that's where I assume the deepest connections and the relationships can come through.
3: Yeah. Hovain runs the management company with fame and they're incredible. When I have to step in on stuff, if they need my help or, you know, if there's an artist that I am working on with them, then I do, but really Hove and fame manage that side of the company. And then, you know, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. So it's like any advice I can give them, I'll give them, you know, so like, that's kind of, or, or like leadership or like guidance. So that's kind of like where I step in on the management side, on the label side, to your point, it's, it's like really... What I love most because I'm able to like wrap my hands around the artists, develop them, produce some of the music, you know, work on the mixing, the sequencing, get in the studio. And that's what I care most about, you know, like is how the music comes out and then hopefully the world receives it well,
2: you know. And that's also probably what separates you from that standard exec label head type person, because the person that normally is wearing that hat, sure, they may have done some of those things when they were early in their career. But as they move up, they may not necessarily be doing those same type of things versus you're like, no, this is my passion. Even if I'm leading in this brand and this company is getting bigger, this is still the stuff that I want to do. And I want to be able to help guide artists on that journey.
3: Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's definitely a lot that separates me from the other execs, I think even on a jokey around level or whatever, and just like not taking myself too serious where a lot of these people are very serious in the music industry or, or like almost want to be the artist, if you will. But yeah, I just love the creation of music. I don't think that like I'll ever stop doing that, you know, no matter what, whether I run a label for the next 20 years or don't run a label. And my least favorite part of the music industry is the business side of it. I always tell people this and I, and I mean this, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I love music. I hate the music industry. Like the music business Mm -hmm. will drive you crazy. You know what I'm saying? If you really are like a music lover, you just want to make the music and like, And this is part of why I think cinematic is successful. We built such a good staff that I trust the staff to be able to execute the vision and kind of where we start in the studio. And, you know, I can't even take any credit for that. That's like the whole team that just like kills it. You know what I mean? From PR to marketing, to playlisting. you know, the, the creatives, like they really help to take it to the next level. You know, that's the one part I don't, I like sit in on the meetings and stuff and, you know, I'll definitely speak my mind, but, Once the music's
2: done, I trust the team to be able to drive it home. What do you think it is about the business side of the industry that makes it so frustrating to work with? There's so much. I mean, clearances, trying to get
3: release dates when other people have their albums coming, dealing with egos of other label owners or managers. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people don't come from the same mental spaces me and others you know what i mean i'm not saying the only person that does this out of the love you know i think a lot of people do start doing music or whatever they are passionate about a photographer based on love but then you get big and your head goes crazy you know and you start to forget where you came from and shit like that you know anybody that knows me is going to be like yo shipes is literally the same person he was when he was like 10 years old till now you know what i mean so like it's just a lot of like fuck shit if you will I always tell people like 95% of the people I've met in the music industry are just like either creeps or just not really people I would hang out with outside of like the music industry. You know what I mean? I'm just being real with you. So it's like, that's my answer for that. I don't know. I'm just just very honest. Like I hope I'm not offending you or anybody, but yeah, I don't, I don't really fuck with the music industry. I'm not at the parties. I'm not at the events. I just do my thing. I make good music. I try to put out great artists and, Then I go and work on the Smokers Club or eat donuts or play with my fucking animals or some shit.
2: I hear you, man. And I respect that. I respect that. And I think part of the reason you've been successful, too, is that you're offering something different from what a lot of those other folks are offering, too. You're giving the artist an opportunity, but you're also not trying to gouge them or take everything away from them. So for the folks listening, how do you normally structure, you know, what you would offer someone on the label side? When
3: it's an independent deal, I started a 50-50 where we're straight partners across the board, you know, and that gives the artist an opportunity to build their independent catalog with me and also re-up with me. So like what I tell every artist is, look, we can start at a 50-50. I might not be giving you the biggest bag up front or sometimes when an artist has a big bidding war and I love the artist that much, I will give a big advance up front, you know, but as an indie, you start at like a 50-50 true across the board, obviously not 50% of management. I usually don't even take that piece of it on like an ancillary, no 360 deals. And then what happens is like, let's just say an artist blows up like Youngin Ace or Jay the Youngin or any one of the artists I had back in the day. Although this formula that I'm talking about has become my formula more recently because I've been more understanding of how the business works versus like back in the day, me and Nipsey, we started Indie, but then we wound up at Epic or Crit where we started Indie and wound up at Def Jam. You know, I regret all those moves. I think if I knew what I knew now, we would have always stayed independent. But it starts as a 50-50 and then an artist starts to blow up and I'm able to say to them, hey, here's another 200K don't go to the majors yet. Now let's go into a 60, 40, you know, my favor or a 70, 30, my favor or 65, 35, whatever it is, but now I'm giving them more advances. And what happens is, you know, a lot of artists do stay with me long-term. Some stay with me for five or six mixtapes or like, you know, two indie albums and then go to the majors and are put into royalty-based deals. But all their back catalog is left with me where we're actually splitting true money. That's the difference. And that's what I pride myself on is like trying to show... Most of these artists I sign are young kids, you know what I mean? So try to show these young kids, yo, here's the best business model for you. It might not be the most money up front, but if you blow up and you follow this and you put out a whole bunch of content with me, you're going to be making money. You're going to have a nest egg over here, no matter what happens at the major label, you know, and there's a bunch of artists that has happened with where, you know, every six months they get a check cut from me based on their royalties, you know, or yeah, things like that. So that's kind of how I do my business. I think that business model is better than the major labels where, you know, at the majors, you're kind of just get going into a royalty-based deal. You're selling your master's, you're, you're kind of there for your career at cinematic. You're able to like start here. And then if you get here, you can either stay here because you might be making enough money where you don't want to go to the majors or you're like, okay, cool. I've made enough at this level. Now I'm going to head to the majors, you know, and it's almost like a secondary boost in your career. So that's kind of like how my business model is. And then more recently, to the point of me not really wanting to manage, but how great Hovain and Fame are on the management side and us building out the management company. Now we've started to talk to artists and say, you know, let's just say there's a buzzing artist that got a $100,000 advance offer from a record label. You know, we'll go to them and be like, yo, that's really not a lot of money. Come fuck with us for six months. We'll distribute your music independently. We'll get you up to the level where, you know, these labels are going to give you a three, four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar advance. You know what I mean? And we manage the artists and then they're able to get a way bigger advance. So that's kind of like what we're looking at on the management side now is like independently distributing music for them they own the masters to it. We do a 70, 30 split with them. So 70% goes to them. You know, we fund anywhere from like 30 to 50 K get the artists really, really going on a managerial side because we do have a label side. So that label side works hand in hand with the manager side to work on playlisting, and creative side of things, videos and all that. And then Get them way hotter and then go get a real bag. If you're going to go to the majors, you, you need to get a real bag. You know, you don't want to go to the majors for some small number because they're not going to renegotiate with you the same way that I will or maybe another indie would, you know.
2: So your thought is that if you're going to go take the major label money, I get it, but make sure that it's worth it and make sure that it's something that we can't offer you ourselves.
3: Yeah. Like, you know, I'm not going to say the artist, but like I signed an artist a year or two ago and like I gave him 50K. And I said to him, I was like, this isn't a lot of money, bro, but you're not that buzzing, but you're fire. And you have a buzz in your hometown. Here's the bread. If you start to pop, we can have another conversation. His first mixtape came out, went crazy. And you know, I gave him $250,000 on the next renegotiation, literally the next tape, because I knew he was going to be big. And then we locked in long-term. And I want to say, I have to go look at his deal, but I believe he's in the 50-50 with me still. Maybe he's in a 60-40 or something like that. And he still has the opportunity to go have another cash out with me down the road, sell me a a piece of his profits down the road to a 70, 30, or go to the majors. So that always happens with me. If you start to break with me and I signed you for small money, you're going to get a big check. You know, I'm not the type of person that's going to be like, yo, you signed for that money and I don't need to renegotiate with you. Fuck you. You know, that's not me. And I know a lot of labels that are, I know a lot of artists that have come to me after I've tried to sign them and they go somewhere else. And they're like, they circle back like, damn, I should have signed with you thought, man, more often than not, you'd be surprised, you know, like I want to say almost like seven out of 10 times for me, like my motto is for the love of music. And that's real. So artists know they can hit me whenever you don't even have to be in business with me and you could
2: hit me and I'll help you out. If I can, you know, I just want to see artists that I love, you know, musically win. Earlier, you had mentioned the deals with Nipsey and Crit, and you were saying if you could go back, you probably wouldn't have wanted to do those. I would assume that those wouldn't have been for the level of money that would have made it worthwhile for them to have done those jumps at that time, right? I don't remember
3: the exact deals that each of them did, what type of money they got up front, but I do know both of them had crazy buzzes going into their deals. So I'm sure they, they definitely got six figures each, but like both of them were way better off being independent artists than major label artists. If you look at Crit, we were on fire when we dropped Crit Was Here. You know what I mean? We went to Def Jam and it wasn't It wasn't even just Crit Was Here. Crit Was Here and every mixtape he put out after that return of forever, forever in a day, I'm missing one off the top of my head. But he was on fire and Def Jam just didn't know what to do with him, you know, like they just didn't. And like, if we would have been independent and I would have been in a different space in my life where I had this big staff that I have now, Crit, on my end at least, I would have never recommended him to go to a major. Cause I don't think majors, are right for every artist major labels are great when you have a big hit record you know what i mean and you need to get pushed to the next level and in this day and age tiktok and fucking playlisting and all that and nipsey was the hottest artist literally you know it was nipsey and drake and they were coming out at the same time if you go back and look i think when he did the killer record it was drake's like right after drake dropped what was it come home with me what was the name of that first
2: comeback season
3: no drake had dropped that first album that he ever came out, it was like the, the balloon. And it was like all the letters. I forget what the name of it. So far gone.
0: Was it so far gone?
3: Maybe I'm spacing right now, but either way, you know, Nip was on fire. Like, you know, he had the verse from Drake for the song killers and we were just booming. And, you know, we went to the majors cause I had had my major label deal there based on the success of Sean Kingston. And when I tell you that was a nightmare, that was a nightmare, you know? And, and, when I left Epic, I made sure Nip was able to leave Epic at the same time. And we kind of just went our own ways. Obviously, you always stayed family, but that was just a bad experience. After Nipsey and Crit, I said I would never deal with the majors again. And I do have a joint venture at Interscope Gaffin now, and I'm very happy there on the major label side of things. But 90% of our business is independent still. And from Joey Badass on, it's always been independent. Like when I found Joey, I knew I said, I'm not going to the majors you know, me and Joey had a conversation. He wanted to stay indie. So we were on the same page there and we both taught each other a lot and like learned the independent game and it worked out
2: well, you know, and then eventually Joey wanted to go to the major. So he's at Columbia now. That makes sense. And obviously, I mean, the dude was just in a movie that won an Oscar. So, you know, he's been blowing up. Shout out Joey. Yep. Yeah. So as you talked about, Cinematic has been doing this well and hearing you just talk about the journey and the success you've had as an indie I'm also noticing that there's been a bunch of your peers that have been acquired recently by major labels because everyone wants to get the hot independent labels on their team. I'm sure that they're reaching out to you all the time, trying to see what they could do. And I'm also sure on the other hand, that you're like, no, I don't want anything to do with them.
0: (laughs)
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not doing that. Especially where my head is at now. Like Less is more for me at this point. You know, I I just turned 41. So I'm on my way to being an old man. So, you know, as I'm like, you know, just really fully, in my opinion, in my prime, I think I have my next like 15, 20 years to be doing this. I'm very selective with what I'll be doing at the majors versus the indie level. And I want the freedom to be able to just kind of move to my own beat or whatever you want to say, versus like, you know, the majors, which are, slower in nature on how they move and stuff like that so yeah cinematic will never go fully major label i'll always start independent i want what's best for the artists at the end of the day it's a partnership and I don't ever want an artist to hate me. I don't ever want an artist to look at me like I did some fuck shit to them or anything that would be like, you know, just ruin the legacy that I built for myself. So the artist is always in control. If the artist comes to me tomorrow, any artist, y'all, I'm ready to be upstreamed, I'm ready to go. Cool. That's the combo we're going to have. And we're going to get it done. It might take a little bit, you know, and the deal has to be right for everybody, but I'm not holding anybody back. I'm not here to do that. So they'll always be the major label side. And I think they're definitely a necessity, you know, when you have a big record or things like that. But I definitely will always start as an indie and then, you know, go there if I need to.
2: And I think it keeps you open with flexibility, right? Like you were just talking earlier about how comedy is one of the things you really want to do more focus on. And obviously you signed Drewski. And I just don't know if you would have been able to have the flexibility to do those same type of things and run this company the way you would want to doing something like that.
3: Yeah, no, it's true. And, and even just like I think personality versus others, I don't know that that would fit into necessarily the major label scheme or structure of things. You know what I mean? I don't really have the desire to be like in competition with any of these people. You know, I just want to do what I love to do. So the Drewski thing was just like the biggest blessing in disguise. not even in disguise. It was just like the illest shit that could ever happen to me because like anybody that knows me from like when I was a kid to now knows it, you know, I mean, I have class clown tatted on me in real life. They gave me class clown in high school. They didn't give me most likely to succeed or any of that shit. And I was a good athlete. They didn't even give me best athlete, those motherfuckers. They literally gave me class clown in the yearbook. So, you know, I've been on my like comedy shit and just loving comedy and being a connoisseur of comedy, which is how when I saw Drew I was like, yo, this dude is the funniest guy I have ever seen since like, you know, I grew up on Jim Carrey, Will Farrell, you know, Danny McBride. I love Kevin Hart, obviously Dave Chappelle, you know, so seeing him was just like Seth Rogen too. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, yo, this guy is incredible. Yeah. I got very lucky with Drewski because I really feel like that is kind of where I wanted to go at this point in my life anyway, as far as just, you know, working on comedy and writing and
2: trying to just, you know, build a brand with him, you know? Right. It's an interesting point for comedy, too, because I think that landscape has changed quite a bit. I feel like 10 years ago, the goal was, okay, we got to get an HBO. You got to do that somehow. Right. Or you got to get a big special. Now things are a little different. Of course, Netflix is throwing out a ton of money, but there are plenty of people that are doing very well on social media and touring all of that. And they don't need to do any of that stuff.
3: Any of that. I mean, I I won't put any of Drewski's business out there, but Drewski is killing it. And we haven't even gotten into the really, we haven't even gotten into like stage two of his career yet. You know, now we're starting to take the meetings with all the big people, all the big players, all the big production companies, film houses and all that. And, you know, we're obviously building Drewski's own production company. You know, he wants to do his own thing as well. So, you know, I've been teaching Drew. I tell him, I'm like, bro, approach this the same way that I approached music, which is like, own your shit. Let's create the content so that people have to come to us and they're forced to give you 50% of everything. You know, I've heard nightmare stories where like Dave Chappelle's mad at Netflix or whatever. I don't know the backstory of that or Ice Cube and somebody else owning the Friday name where he couldn't put out the next Friday because the studios wouldn't let him do it or something. I don't ever want Drewski to be in that position. So like, you know, just from seeing the game and learning it, we're going to make sure that, you know, he is an IP owner. So yeah, so you know, withdrew to your point, you know, I tell people this a lot because like I saw Drewski for the first time when he had like 10,000 followers and I hit him and I was like, bro, you're mad funny. Come to New York. Let's hang. I just want to chop it up with you. Let's shoot some content. There was no real intent on business. It was almost like for the love of music, for the love of comedy. Right. So I was just like, yo, bro, let's just hang and chop it. And we just became good friends over the year. You know, he'd come to Cali with me sometimes, New York, and he'd shoot with the cinematic TV. And then like, you know, he just started getting really big. He went on tour, Jack Harlow and all these artists were like resharing his stuff. And like, he really finally realized he needed a manager. And, you know, at that point I was just like, let's do this. But the thing with drew that I tell everybody is like, where I could maybe say, you know, yeah, I can take credit for a lot of the artists I found. Cause I was in the studio working, developing that drew, To your point of like comedy being able to blow up by itself, I can't take any credit for what Drewski did. Yeah, I might have found him early, but like at the end of the day, he's funny as fuck. And he just kept putting out these skits till he got to this level. Now me and him are really strategizing and game planning. And I could probably say I'm responsible for making sure the right decisions are being made now. But early on, it was all him. It was all social media and how much people loved his jokes, you know what I mean? Because he's hysterical, so... Yeah, dude is hilarious, man. He he really is. And honestly, like just even when he's not even trying to be funny, like he's just a
2: character. I think he's very special. I think he's really the next one. Yeah, I think so too, man. I do. Talk to me about some of the things that you and him have planned. I'm sure you have a bunch of whether well, it's different ventures or things you're trying to get involved with.
3: I can't like talk specifics, but we have a radio show that we're doing, which is gonna be big, big. Like it's with big companies involved and it'll it'll be launching, we feel like this summer. So we're working on that. We have an independent comedy we're doing, which is about pool cleaners. I can tell you that much. <laughs> it's him and Jack Harlow co-starring in it. My ultimate goal is to try to get Danny McBride to be a part of it as well, because, you know, he's hysterical. And just the, the whole concept of it will be really funny and then could have been records, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with we have a really big play there as well. So those three things are the first three things that are going to go from social media where Drew is now to like, okay, he's here. This is network-driven or radio-driven stuff. And then it's very important for him. He really wants to be cast in a role on a film or television show. So, you know, we're trying our best there. But yeah, we have our first three things like fully game planned out. We're also working on a festival which is going to be pretty funny, which is kind of going to be, you know, Drewski has this character, Kyle Roger, obviously, where he's like this fraternity kid. And he linked up with the Nelk boys. You know who Nelk is? No. Uh, okay, so you got to check them out. They're funny as fuck. But we're working on something with them, too. So, like, you know, just kind of bringing Drewski to his fans, to his audience, not just being on social media and stuff. But I can't really get too deep into him. But we got some really cool shit planned and it, it all looks
2: like it's panning out, which is great, you know? That's dope. Yeah, I feel like that Mountain Dew spot was like, I think, big just from an exposure perspective. Definitely. He has something coming out
3: really soon with another big brand that's funny, 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 funny for uh, the playoffs.
2: So yeah, that'll be coming out pretty soon. Nice. Love it, man. So much of this is relevant for you, too, because your brand is also active. I know you're doing the pizza and you're just doing a bunch of different things. Can you talk a little bit about some of the ways that you've been positioning yourself as a creator? Sometimes I just get lucky
3: with shit. Like, I'm definitely, you know, a foodie at heart. I smoke a lot of weed, so I love good food. And one of my homegirls, her name's Virginia, she worked at vice and she had hit me and was just like, yo, we think you'd be dope on a munchies late night episode. I was like, all right, let's do it. Fuck it. And I did one. And it like really blew up. It was one of their better ones that they had had in the last few years. And the comments were really good. And everybody was like, yo, this dude should have his own show on munchies or whatever. So we started doing a couple of them and and the feedback was really good. And then COVID hit. So, you know, I don't know if we'll continue it or not, but I do, definitely see myself doing something in the food space entertainment wise like i found myself like after all that munchy stuff happened i just found myself like diving into like you know guy fiera is that how you say his name guy F- Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and and now you know,
2: I feel like I'm a Guy Fieri stand correcting someone else on how to pronounce his name. You are on the <laughs> line. Don't lie. No, just kidding. And then, you know, Gordon Ramsay's
3: a fucking legend. Like that dude's out of his, you know, just crazy. So like I started watching a lot of that. I do really have a passion for food and being on camera. I don't know where that'll take me. It's not like my top priority because I have a lot on my plate. But again, to the point of like loving what I do and finding it important to do stuff that you love for a living. I would not be mad if like, you know, part of my gig was like, you know, traveling the world doing munchies or something like that, you know, and I think it's actually going to start back up soon. And hopefully they'll have me back on the show and hopefully I'll do my thing and, you know, do some cool shit.
2: Yeah, I feel like now's a perfect time for something like that, right? Things are opening back up. And obviously, I know that that's separate from cinematic, but I can still see the ties in with how you may have high art or how you may have something like this, right? It it seems like it comes from a similar type of creative mind.
3: The show found my recipe. Like I came up with that idea and it was just kind of like, yo, if I can cook, right. And like, I'm not a great cook, but like, I have these recipes, I bet artists do too, you know, and that took off, like it exploded. It went viral a bunch of times. So yeah, I mean like, you know, I've always been an ideas guy and like food is just a cool space to be in. Cause I love it. You know, again, I'm not going to do anything I don't like. That's why it made so much sense for me to go partner on that donut shop because like I like donuts you know, it's it's like almost like stoner food, if you will. So it was like, all right, this makes sense. I don't want to do anything that doesn't make sense for me. I don't think that's the way you'll really enjoy your life. Like, I bet you love what you do, right? Your interview, you know, your show, you know, talking to people, chopping it up. You got to really ask yourself, do I love this? And where I'm at right now in my life, more than ever, am I not going to do anything that I don't love? You know what I mean? If I start to lose passion for something, I'm just going to keep it
2: moving, you know? That's dope, man. Is there anything that you haven't done yet that you really want to get involved with or do more on? I definitely want to act, not to like be
3: on the red carpets or anything like that. I have no desire to go to any of the the award shows or anything, but I do want to low-key just do some comedy stuff. You know, maybe I'll get to be lucky enough to do that like in one of Drewski's movies or something. I just think it would be really fun. I don't want to be like the star of it. I want it to almost be like where down the line, like 10 or 15 years, they're like, yo, did you know that was Shipes in that movie? Yeah, he like co-wrote that. And like, he was this character over here and like not play myself, but play like, I don't know if you ever like watch my Instagram, but I have like all these voices and stuff. So I feel like I could play characters and shit and like maybe like dress up kind of like, Eddie Murphy did that scene in Coming to America in the Barbershop or whatever. Where he- right, where he's every one of them. <laughs> but you know, that's again, like always my clients and artists first. So, like, you know, I'm not over here like trying to Drewski's got all this shit on his plate. It's all about Drewski right now. One day, you know, I get an opportunity to do that. That'd be cool. What else would I want to do? I don't know that I could do this. I love art. So, like, I think maybe like painting or drawing or something like that could be very cool just to try. I used to graffiti growing up, but like when I was a kid, but that would have to be later on when I really have time to just sit and just do nothing. And who knows if it'll even be good. Those are probably the two things that could be pretty cool.
2: That makes sense, man. I feel like the stuff you're already doing, I feel like is an extension of so much of this, right? Whether it's the donut shop or how you're already doing things in food or even the Smokers Club too. I mean, I think that is just natural extension of what you're doing. And I think in a lot of ways, you're kind of like living that dream of, okay, I know the lane that I want to be in. And I think the reason that I don't want to say some of your other peers that are running independent labels or some of the reasons that they might take bigger deals is because there's still kind of this like grass is greener vibe that may drive them. And you're a bit more like, no, like this is my thing. Like these are the things I want to do. I'm interested in some other stuff outside of this music stuff. I still love music, but I want to have my hands in all these different things.
3: Yeah. Like, you know, as an entrepreneur, that's definitely how I've always been, you know, and I would say I spend like 80% of my time on music. You know what I mean? Like Smokers Club has a whole separate staff. Uh, clearly I'm I'm heavily involved over there, but it's not like I'm every single day running the Smokers Club. You know, I, I play my part as one of the founders over there. The donut shop, I really just do more of the marketing side of it. I'm obviously not the chef. My partner, Kyle is a beast when it comes to that stuff. Music is where it starts and ends for me, but like all these other things are like super important and i love it you know and i'm just like yeah you hit it on the head it's like all stuff that i want to be doing something
2: forced you know good stuff these are the conversations that i think the audience and folks would get a lot out of because i think a lot of them are either aspiring or trying to get to that point so it's dope if
3: I could do it, I swear to God, any one of them can, because, you know, I literally it took me a lot of extra years to graduate high school to the point the teachers were cheering when I finally walked across the stage. They were very happy to get me out of their school. And, you know, I never went to college and. I just believed in myself and pushed and pushed and pushed till one thing worked. And then the next thing and the next thing, and honestly, not to sound cliche, but like literally if I can do it, anybody can do it. You just got to believe in yourself. And when no one else does, when you're at your like brokest and you don't have money to get on the train, you know, you either get to work that day, or you eat like that was literally when I used to intern for puff, like I either had money to eat that day or I'd have to walk to work from Soho where I was living at the time. You know, so I could eat that day because I didn't have money for both, and then go to the studio that night with Diza to try to work on whatever we were working on. So you just got to believe in yourself and just push, and you could really do it. You know what I mean? The, the, the entrepreneurs that really make it, a lot of them didn't go to school. A lot of them might not have had the proper training or tools. You know, like I always tell people, like until I was 30, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I got taken advantage of in deals. I didn't make the right money. I didn't make the money I should have because I just didn't know it all. But that was almost like my college tuition. And then by 30, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. This is how this all works. And, you know, now I'm like, here. Right, now you get it. Yeah, now I get it. You know, now I really enjoy telling younger kids, like, yo, bro, this is how you should do this. Don't get taken advantage of this way. Don't let this happen, you know? That's why I would never shade an artist or, like, do some creep shit to an artist. I just not in me because, like, you know, people did that to me. So once you know how that feels, you know, you're just like, I don't want to do that to somebody else. I treat people the way I want to be treated.
2: Maybe that next thing for you might be motivational speaking. I feel like you got your thing down now. (laughs) Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I'm down to do that. I always tell like the people that I work with, like I don't
3: really want to do like panels and stuff like that, but I would definitely go sit at a college and tell kids do this or don't do that or, you know, follow your dreams. Don't let your parents or whoever tell you, you can't do it. You know, if I listen to my mom, no disrespect to her. I love my mom. I would not be doing music because I remember building my first studio in her basement at like 14 or 15. And she was like, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of my house. I'm
2: crazy. You know what I mean? So, you know, you just got to believe in yourself and, and push. That makes sense. I can't see you doing panels. You're right. Panels could be the worst. You got to have your own stage to tell the story and then take some questions at the end.
3: I think at panels, you're talking to people that are probably already like in the industry, have made it, and they're just like they're not in a bad way, but just like kind of like maybe stealing some of your sauce, if you will, or like oh, okay, that's what he did to get smokers come to the okay. Let me take a note versus kids who are so excited to have an opportunity to hear from somebody that like could help shape their next year or two or their decisions. And I just really enjoy working with kids. I'm big into trying to work with like charities and stuff like that. And just like any which way that I can give back to people, that means more to me than the other
2: stuff, you know? That's inspiring, man. Before we let you go, man, this is great. You dropped a bunch of gems for sure. But Shipes, what are some upcoming cinematic projects that the audience should know about?
3: Prentice, he's 14 years old and the kid is fire. Like you got to check him out. Young and Ace is obviously, you know, big priority to me. He has been, I love him like a brother. What else do we have coming out this year? Big Gavo is killing it. You know, his buzz is really starting to grow. Obviously, Kel, little Kel, he came out of the gate. His first three records were double platinum, gold, gold. So, you know, Kel, we're looking for the next hit. I actually have a whiteboard up in my living room of all my priorities. New Ski, Paris, Little Soldier. You know, there's a bunch of dope shit. Diz, obviously, but Diz is a legend, so it's not really up and coming. There's a young kid rhyming. Yeah, I just, you know, out of Nashville. There's a lot of cool stuff. A lot of hip hop, you know. Ola Runt is locked up right now, unfortunately. So is Queso, but, you know, I was very excited about both of them. I still am.
2: And, you know, just a lot of dope shit. Good stuff, man shipes congrats again on making the billboard power list man and thanks for coming through this is dope i really appreciate it dan thanks for having me if you enjoyed this podcast go ahead and share it with a friend copy the link text it to a friend post it in your group chat post it in your slack groups wherever you and your people talk spread the word that's how travel continues to grow and continues to reach the right people And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast that helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.
0: man well dan johnny those guys are true legends i think what johnny's built with cinematic is, is truly incredible i think they're at the forefront of operating as an independent label um and i think dan too i mean legend in his own right pushing forward a, a lot of very powerful information actual insights takeaways from the music industry so if you haven't already definitely go check out his newsletter and his podcast trapital.co t-r-a-p-i-t-a-l.co um really want to thank dan for for doing this uh what well, stood out to you jordan well, I think it's I think it's uh,
1: really important to talk about personal branding as it as it pertains to a business and and the executive of that business. I think Cinematic Music Group has done a really good job of not just being a label for artists to find and to call home, but to have their own reputation in the industry itself. So it was really interesting to hear Dan kind of dig deeper into that into this episode.
0: Yeah, one thousand percent. Well, there you have it. Thank you as always for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Peace.